I can hear you. How are you doing? <laughs> hey, Chris, we're just talking over this the whole entire time. Oh, yeah? Stop talking. This is your pal Dane Alves with another enticing episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, a weekly show for new listeners in which we break down wrestling, usually on Thursdays at 7 p.m. EFT, and also on Saturdays if you're listening live at noon. And uh, I got another, well, we got another great show for you, I should say. Uh, We're going to be going over a lot of stuff, uh, stuff from Ron Smackdown. Of course, we got a huge AEW pay-per-view this last week. And the Wednesday Night Wars, you know, just keep on going. And everything for Elimination Chamber. So let's, you know, get right into it. But before I do that, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton. How are you doing, good sir? I'm doing wonderful, man. It feels good not to be uh, studying for an exam or taking an exam. <laughs> so I'm really excited to talk about wrestling. I apologize for listeners out there uh past couple shows is, is totally on me as far as missing things. Um, but uh, studying for those Microsoft certifications can be a real bitch. How have you been, Dane? Doing good. And I think everyone, including me of Geek Vice Nation, would like you to pass all of those things and keep on going within your career, good sir. So not a big deal at all. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love all of you guys very much. I love about 80% of you. No, I'm just kidding. I love all of you guys. Uh, uh, I'm just, just, just joshing you. But uh, any, anyways, new listeners, uh, thank you guys for checking us out. Uh, go to geekvibesnation.com, and you can check out all of our news articles for various geek-related things like comic books, movies, video games. We also have links on there for all of our social media platforms. Find us at Geek Vibes Nation on Facebook on uh, Instagram, on Twitter. Join the conversation. Join Geek Guys Nation. And if you don't want to listen to us live on Blog Talk, we're on all audio platforms when it comes to iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever it is. Uh, just look up Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And, you know, for all of our previous listeners, thank you guys for keeping up with us. And uh, we love doing this show. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's start getting into this thing. I wanted to start off by saying, um, you know, Basically, just giving all the positive spirits to Big Papa Pump. Uh, last night, he was doing a uh, – actually, over here in Atlanta at the Roxy, he was, um, whatchamacallit, recording an episode of Impact. Uh, he went into cardiac arrest and was rushed to the hospital. Uh, for the last update, I heard that he's in good health, and um, or at least he's, he's fine now, uh, but it was really scary for um, a period of time. So just uh, Wrestling Geeks Alliance, me and Chris, hope you get better, Scott. You know, you're one of the biggest personalities within wrestling, and I appreciate that you're still performing. Uh, just, uh, you know, scary stuff. But let's, uh, let's, let's get into this, uh, Chris. I wanted to break down some of the highlights on Raw and SmackDown, kind of go over them with you. Um, I thought Raw was a pretty good show from, from start to finish. It had a lot of uh, good stuff, and uh, two in particular what-the-fucks 
but we'll get into them. Um, all right, so Drew McIntyre basically kind of showed up for the party, if you will, with Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman kind of for the first time and just went after Brock. He claymored him in the ring. Brock sold it like a motherfucker because Brock can wrestle him like some dorks on the uh, on the interwebs uh, would, would, would say differently. Um, but he sold it. He got up the ramp and got claymored again, and then the crowd got into it and gave him a third one. Really uh, driving home the fact that not only is Brock willing to play ball, obviously, with Drew McIntyre, but Drew's really looking solid as a, a force to be reckoned with, and I would say, you know, a good baby face. They're doing a good job building him for this match at WrestleMania. How did you like the opening segment? Did you think it made Brock look weak at all? No, I mean, I think it's impossible at this point to make Brock look weak. They've done such a great job booking him. Paul Heyman's great. Uh, in the scenario, I love what they're doing with Drew McIntyre. I really think they need to keep it up. Like that's one person I can look at WWE and say, man, they're booking that guy really, really well, especially coming out of rumble and uh, like not to bring this into hockey, but he was at the flyers game, I think after the show and they did like Royal rumble winner versus uh, their mascot kind of thing. It was very, very fun. Um, so he's kind of all over the place. They're definitely pushing him, having him show up and do public events. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it makes Brock look weak. Like, you know, it Brock just beat Ricochet in like a minute and 20 seconds at that last pay-per-view. Um, which I mean, sucks for Ricochet, but it, it's Brock, right? So I just, I wish fans would step back and look at, I know they're like Brock is a part-timer, but if you really look at like Brock's past two years, he's been on the show so much. It has been such an integral part of that uh, heavyweight division, regardless of what you think of him. And I think he's had some really, really good fucking matches. And this WrestleMania buildup between him and Drew, I think, has been really, really good. So I'm looking forward to the match itself. And uh, as long as they keep building Drew the way they have been, um, I think people are going to rally behind Drew just because it's easy to hate Brock. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, like I, I like this. I thought this was one of the best things on the show, um, probably outside of the uh, – Orton stuff, which we'll get into a bit later, I'm sure. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, to people if they want to kind of get to know a little bit more about, like, early Brock Lesnar, kind of goes throughout his whole career, the Ruthless Aggression documentaries are coming out just as good. I mean, it's it's WWF's or WWE's version of it. you got to realize that. But, you know, they're just as good as the Monday Night Wars uh, documentaries, which is the same people are doing this. Um, and they had one about Brock Lesnar. And, just to think about the accomplishments of how he was just plucked out of, out of uh, you know, uh, winning the NCAA championship, came into wrestling, was at OVW, the shortest amount of time out of any of the other guys, including people like Batista, um, you know, Randy Orton and John Cena, picked first to come, was pushed to the moon within a two-year period. He beat uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, made him submit, beat The Rock, you know, was beating the crap out of people. Uh, and then had that amazing run with Kurt Angle, then left, and between trying out for the Vikings and going to New Japan, was out of the WWE for a very long time, coming back and just seeing the matches that he puts on with certain people, you know, when they're not trying to give in to the mystique, oh, I forgot his UFC career too, how, how the fuck did I do that? But obviously doing a lot of things in between his runs in WWE. But, you know, he is a supreme athlete, he knows how to wrestle his ass off. You know, he might not be someone as as invested or as passionate about the business, 
that sometimes that doesn't fucking matter. You know, the difference between him and a Bill Goldberg, to me personally, and, uh, you know, this is nothing against Bill too much, but I just feel like Brock has always given his all, you know. He wouldn't have tried a stupid fucking maneuver that he hadn't done in, you know, like two or three years with the shooting star press if he didn't want to make that match that much better and almost broke his fucking neck in the process, you know, because just it, it, he is a hell of a lot more of an athlete than I think people give him credit. And definitely check out that documentary. I don't know if you've been watching those Ruthless Aggression um, episodes, uh, Chris, but they're pretty fucking awesome so far. There's four of them. Yeah, I watched the first one. I, I think it's really good. I need to catch up on them. Like I said, I've been uh... – Outside of just catching up on actual wrestling, I haven't really watched anything, so that's kind of on me. But I've heard really good things about them, and I'm definitely planning on checking them out. Maybe we'll do a full review or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, like think, think about fucking Brock's matches versus Undertaker uh, <laughs> against that one gold against that one Goldberg match against Undertaker, and put that in perspective. Like they're completely different. <laughs> Like, I know the the idea is like, oh, well, they both just went all the time and, and they're monsters and they only have this minute matches. The difference is like a seven-minute Brock match can be absolutely incredible. A seven-minute Goldberg match is a seven-minute Goldberg match. Um, Goldberg, like, kind of, I mean, I'm not going to discredit him in WCW. I was never the hugest fan of him, but he kind of got pushed perfectly for what he was, especially because the NWO was so much of that show which I think made him stand out more. Um, yep. Not a huge Goldberg fan, man. Like, as you know, uh, I never even, even growing up, uh, being a WCW fan, I was never a big Goldberg guy. I was always more on the, the side of the fence of like Jericho and more of the cruiserweights uh, and uh, obviously, you know, the stinger and, and flair. Um, but yeah, you know, not I to think, take anything I... away from Goldberg, but yeah. I think that's the reason why, I mean, you have a lot of separate, because we're all the same age, we're all like young kids, and like I've said about Goldberg, I mean, he's probably the out of the Attitude Era, out of the Monday Night War era of wrestling, he's probably the third biggest, I would say, draw, you know, name that people recognize after Austin and The Rock, I would put him over Triple H, and as much as it hurts me, DDP, Sting, you know, out of all those guys that really built up that era, besides Hollywood, obviously, because it, but that's different. He came from, you know, a different era as well. Um, but I think that a lot of us fans, we were kind of pissed off at the fact that the NWO was overshadowing, you know, when they became so friggin' big, they kind of overshadowed. Uh, Sting became minimal. DDP became very minimal. The cruiserweight division became like, you know, not as big. And then kind of Goldberg came in there and kind of stopped it. But also it's like it became about him. And he completely overshadowed what we wanted for people like Booker T and Chris Benoit at the time uh, to rise as those supreme baby faces and kind of put DDP and Sting in the outskirts. So I don't know. Uh, he is what he is. Uh, I, I think the fact that, you know, I don't know. This is going off on a tangent. We need to get back to the notes, but uh, we could do a whole yeah. episode of the re- the reasons why Goldberg's not our favorite. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will say this be before we go. Uh, yeah, I will say this before we we leave the subject itself because we're comparing like you know it, the comparison of Lesnar and Goldberg got brought up and it's important because they're both champions right now, right? Yes. So, um, what I will say is the best Goldberg match I ever saw was with Lesnar. 
So, like, I, yes. I think that speaks to Lesnar more than Goldberg. Yeah, I, and, uh, I guess drawing it back, it, it's definitely more about the comparison of the two of them. And, I mean, Brock's a fucking freak, dude. He can he can wrestle like he could wrestle like Chris Benoit or he could wrestle like the Big Show. He can do pretty much any style form match. You know, it's 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 crazy. Um, but yeah, yeah and, and people people I, I feel like people have to um, at at this point after watching him the past year and a half, you can't just be like they just book him to destroy everyone because they really haven't. Like if you think about the the amount of offense he's given to people outside of that rumble and in the matches he had, like the, I think it was last year, he had like four matches in a row where they were legitimate matches, right? Um, yep. I mean, Brock does what Brock is asked and he does it to the, the highest ability that he can. And, uh, it seems like, you know, there's obviously certain people he doesn't want to work with and he doesn't have to, he's fucking Brock Lesnar. But when he goes out and he actually tries and, you know, they're like, we need this match to go this long. We're going to have a good match. Like look at the Finn Balor match, for instance, like the guy's fucking incredible. Um, oh, yeah. and I would definitely trust him over, over fucking Goldberg, but the Drew McIntyre and him match, those two giants clashing after watching, you know, like I said, the Lesnar-Goldberg match is a perfect example. If you're going to give me that, but with Drew McIntyre being a really good wrestler, that's going to be a fucking great match at Mania. Yeah, and it is. And Drew has gotten a hell of a lot better than he was when he was, a, you know, the, the chosen one or whatever the fuck. You know, it's, it's, they look like two intimidating monsters. He looks like someone that could stack up next to Brock. So... I'm looking forward to it, man. Uh, here's a question I want uh, from you, Chris. Uh, why the fuck – and I'm happy they have the titles, but we were talking about this for Super Showdown. Not only was the match better on Raw, I would say arguably, but why the hell did they give the titles to Street Profits on Raw a couple of nights after them losing it on Super Showdown to Seth and uh, Buddy? So did they set up an elimination chamber match for the tag titles for yeah, Raw? Third one. I'm trying to remember. So yeah, you the know, part match. of that is the thing is Samoa Joe's out. I think the original idea was maybe you have this like Samoa Joe and Kevin win, and then they dissension, they lose the titles to maybe AOP or something. But like I said, either way, you had to get the titles off Seth because the end goal for Mania is Kevin Owens versus Seth. So yeah. I was fine with this. It just seemed kind of like. Especially what how they've been booking the Street Profits, it was kind of just there, and you were like, oh, well, I expected it. I didn't expect it to happen before the pay-per-view. I thought maybe at the pay-per-view, but um, either way, me and you both talked about this last time we did the show. It, the titles had to come off of them because Joe's out, and it's probably going to be gone until past Mania, unfortunately. Um, so they had to get the titles off because the match is Seth versus Kevin. Yeah. It's, uh, it will be interesting, but I'm glad the Prophets have it. I like them, obviously, as attack champions, uh, showing their charisma over trying to do redo SNL skits in the back and, you know, commenting everything as if they were the Greek choir uh, on the fucking show. Didn't get that. Also, something I didn't get, Chris. Oh, God. All right, so Ricochet, I don't think it's as big of a deal of him losing to Brock Lesnar. At least he's not in that position. I don't think people had to worry about it too much. And then Monday Night Raw happened, and he lost to Riddick fucking Moss. Not even, not even you know, our truth for the twenty four seven title in a legit match. Uh, is what the fuck did they do with Ricochet? Basically, I, I I don't get this. Like I've heard wrestlers talk about it, you know, and they're kind of frustrated within the industry. I think it was Conan that was like, 
you know, I thought Ricochet easily when when I worked up with him at Lucha Underground, a lot of the other promotions. Uh, I thought he was going to be the next Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio thought that he was going to be the next Rey Mysterio. And I mean, what do you do? Do you repackage him in a tag team? Maybe put him with Cedric Alexander and let them kind of bring each other out because the tag team division on Raw is, as we can see, is pretty abysmal, especially for like a high flying one like that. Uh, you try to like repackage him. I don't know with Mustafa Ali. Do you do a singles thing where, like you suggested, I think last week, try to do something like the Prince Puma thing. Redo, restart it, fresh from the start. Uh, do you put him back to NXT and let him kind of like how Shane, Shane Strickland and a lot of the other guys are jumping from 205 Live to NXT and and and, and a part of that whole entire commodity. I mean, he's an ex North American champion. You know, what the fuck can save Ricochet at this point? Because I understand he's not the best on the mic. There's many ways to get around that. They always seem to be able to in the past. Now they actually are starting to embrace managers more, and he's one of the talented or the most talented in-ring wrestlers, especially aerial artists, of his generation. He's great at selling. He's, he's incredible. He'll do stuff that no one else can do. And you know how his peers feel about him. You know, all of them put him over. You know, a lot of the older guys put him over. I was even listening to Jim Cornette, just like, what the hell? Like, what did he do, you know, to – who did he piss off in the back? I, I just don't get it. And he lost to Riddick Moss with a 24-7 title. That's, like, the biggest fucking joke ever. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking too much into it. How did you feel after that? No, I mean, I think this point's the Vince is done with him. Honestly, I think Vince thinks that he didn't fit the gimmick he gave him, which was a superhero gimmick, and now he's done with him. So best case scenario for him is to either they repackage him as a luchador, which I think is not a bad idea. Um, yeah, Chris Pumbo was awesome. Yeah, like easily do that. He doesn't have to talk. Maybe even put him with Selena Vega. Like if you want to build that faction – having like this mass luchador show up and like help out uh, Angel Garza or, or get in between like him and Andrade, they're going to, that's going to be some great matches. But the problem is, is I don't trust, like once Vince doesn't like something, it's done. Right. So the best case scenario for him would be to go to, uh, to me, go back to NXT or, or leave the company, unfortunately, as bad as that sounds. And if you think about this two years ago, before he was even in WWE, I was hyping him as like, in my, I think he made my top five favorite wrestlers when we did that list. So it's just both thought he was it be sucks. Huge. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know man. how they missed, missed on him. And like I said, I think when Vince thought of the superhero gimmick, he thought like Shane Helms, which I talked about last week, like the hurricane. Like he wanted something kind of goofy and like a mid-card act because I feel like that's how he sees Ricochet, where the rest of the world sees Ricochet as this fucking great performer as Prince Puma going against John Morrison and Rey Mysterio and doing these crazy-ass good matches and having, like, a cool story built around him. And instead, they have him coming out and, and losing to AJ Styles, like, three weeks in a row and then talking about how he's a superhero. It's like, bro, you're not a superhero if you get your ass kicked every time. That's not how comics work. <laughs> oh, so frustrating. But, yeah, I, I would be calling Hunter um, and just being like, look, man, what can I do? Maybe repackage me, start me off in NXT, you know. I don't know, but hopefully something yeah, happens. I, I, uh, will, here. I will say this about him. At least he's been positive about the situation, didn't pitch a hissy fit and say he was going to quit. So maybe there is the chance yeah. events will turn the corner. And you know what I mean? Because it would have been – like out of all the people that have been booked really shitty – 
Um, he's one of the top, in my opinion. Like, what they did with Sasha Banks, like, while it's not great, or and what they did with Luke Harbour, while it's not great, like, how they've booked Ricochet, who was a top star in other places, is fucking baffling. Like, even on their own brand. Like, NXT is their brand. He was a top star there. He comes up to the main yeah. roster, and they're like, oh, no, that's cool. Let's, bur- let's bury this guy, I guess. Like, if anyone should be pissed off, it should be him, because if he went to AEW tomorrow, as as like Prince or King Ricochet or whatever, he'd be fucking super over. Like, it's just it, especially with the way the landscape changed in wrestling. Like, he could go back to New Japan. He could go to, uh, you know, he could go to AEW if he wanted to go that route. He could go to MLW, wrestle like Filthy Tom. There's so much shit he could be doing other than what he's doing on the main roster, and it's frustrating as a Ricochet fan. I'll say that. I completely agree with you. Um... So we, we look like we got basically a setup, and we'll kind of talk about a more preliminary chamber. AJ came out and kind of fucked with Aleister Black um, and said that he didn't read his contract because to beat or to go against him, he had to go against Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, and AJ even ended up kind of screwing him over. So that was, I believe, Aleister Black's first loss uh, since he's been on Raw. I'm almost positive. And now we're getting a, you know, and he also is obviously calling out the dead man. He's, he's, he's been, he's been, uh, you know, talking shit. He pinned Alistair, uh, the way that obviously, uh, whatchamacallit, Undertaker does it, even sticking his tongue out and, and, and whatnot. But I, I like this setup. I like where this is going, but I'm also confused on where this is going. Obviously I feel bad for Anderson and Gallows, but I think at this point I should just realize that it's what it is. And they're going to get the tag titles probably back. It's just I don't think Vince cares about tag teams as much, and he just looks at them as uh, AJ's you know lackeys. But man, if you put especially Luke Gallows on the mic more, which they sometimes give him that chance, but most of the time it's AJ's doing the talking. He can talk better than AJ. I'm sorry, I love AJ Styles, and he's do he does fine on the mic. But Gallows actually is someone that's that that connects with people if you let him. Uh, but that's here, neither here nor there. Where is this going, and wh- is there going to be a connection tomorrow night with The Undertaker? We have Aleister Black in this. You know, I, I, me and you talked about these, these rumors, and they're just fucking rumors from what, I, you know, from what I hear. You know, they came from a source that gets stuff and leaks it on Twitter. Sometimes he's right, sometimes he's not. He's not Sean Ross's app or anyone of that credibility, but where they could be building towards to keep Undertaker out of the ring you know, sometimes uh, in a tag match, him and Aleister Black against the OC instead. It seems like it could be pointing in that direction. I just want to know what's going to be Undertaker's spot in the match uh, tomorrow night because it's going to be, like we've said, AJ Styles, Aleister Black in a Extreme Rules match or whatever the fuck they called it. Uh, what variation they called an Extreme Rules match. Uh, but w- what do you think about all this, Chris? I mean, as far as Undertaker's utilization, he should just be out there killing guys, right? Like, I don't think he needs to be in the actual match. Maybe he just shows up or whatever and destroys people. I hated this because it made Aleister Black look really dumb to me. I guess the idea is, like, he'll fight anyone regardless of the contract when he's sitting in his dark room. But to me, it's like, yeah, well, like, you should probably read the contract. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You might need a Paul Heyman. <laughs> like, what, what if it's, like... <laughs> The other guys have guns in the match or something. <laughs> I mean, like I don't know. It's to me that that seemed very weird. I I will say this because you mentioned the tag division. 
I think they're building in the right division, uh, right direction to get that thing going with AOP and, and maybe uh, putting more focus on Anderson and Gallows now that uh, they're you know, Styles is back and putting them in this feud. I guess the idea is to get the rub off Undertaker. You have the Street Profits there. Um, it, I think that tag division can be pretty good quickly with Viking Raiders and all those guys like mixed in. Uh, it, we'll see what happens. But I feel like this is the like the tag division stuff. I feel like is all Paul Heyman. He's like, no, tag matches are kind of important. Like, remember the Dudley Boys? I sent you them, Vince. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, it does seem like there is a little more focus on Raw. Not as much yeah. as me and you would like, but it does seem like they're at least trying something. It just got tied up in the uh, Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins shit, like, way too long. Um, but, yeah, like, the the whole Aleister Black thing is weird. My, my guess is they'll do the uh, CM Punk versus the Shield thing where Aleister has to look really strong and win, but he also has to put, like, AJ in the – club over so he's probably going to be selling a whole lot so i don't know that if i'm looking at wwe booking that would be my comparison it's probably like shield versus cm punk when they did that match and i think he even i think he talked about that in his shoot interview where it's like oh you got to make these guys look super over he's like well why the fuck don't they just beat me that'd make more sense so uh i don't know i'm assuming they're just going to go that route and then have undertaker show up and destroy somebody yeah, I'm down. I'm, I'm excited about that interaction regardless. And, I mean, when you think about this, we're, we're about to get Aleister Black versus AJ Styles in a legit match. Um, so that should be fun. Uh, all right. Well, you know what's not fun? Giant spiders. Uh, what the fuck was this, Chris? Oh, God. You know, in retrospect, I was joking around saying that they should have Jake Roberts come out, maybe during the Andre Battle Royal while Eric is – you know, not paying attention and grab a, a snake out of the cage and be like, Damien, there you are. Cut to this week. Rowan brings out this terrible looking animatronic or whatever the fuck the word is, uh, spider that looks just rid- r- ridiculous and scares uh, No Way Jose and his whole entire posse. And that's it. That, that was it. And Jake Roberts shows up on Dynamite, and we'll definitely talk about that. And basically is insinuating, you know, since they're going to be in Rochester when his client comes out, people are filling the dots, and could be representing Luke Harper. So, uh, funny concept. Uh, but what the fuck was that? Terrible. <laughs> like, is that the answer to the question? It was fucking terrible. I think you had the idea about Damien and the snake, and my idea was like, I don't know, like, have him be a fun house member and put the Bray Wyatt uh, lantern there, right? <laughs> like the Bray Wyatt head lantern. Because it's got to be something that can bite someone. They basically picked a giant spy. Like, I don't know. This shit doesn't work in wrestling. This is, like, really fucking hokey. Uh, like, even more hokey than some of the early, like, 90s Papa Shango stuff. Like, a giant spider, really? Like, at least get a legitimate spider, <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, well, what's the spider been doing since the Home Alone movie? You know, I'm sure he has an agent. Um, No, I will say this, right? Before we move on, Jake the Snake Roberts had a fucking cobra. (laughs) So (laughs) if the fight is between an animatronic spider and a fucking legit cobra, (laughs) why why doesn't Rowan have a legit cobra? (laughs) That would be awesome. 
if he if he pulled that thing up and there was a cobra in there, people were like, "Oh, I didn't expect that. That's actually awesome. We expected WWE to fill with this." Which, to be fair to everyone who expected that, they were right. Oh God, he's like every early '90s ridiculous character thrown into one. It's horrible. Um, I wrote down a note. So during the match with Kerry Sane versus Baszler, which was supposed to originally be her and Oscar, uh, but Oscar had a hand injury, I think. But Lynch came out. She's definitely you, – you were completely 100% right doing the Conor McGregor thing, uh, just all dressed up to the nine, and even puts on uh, King's crown at one point during commentary and just hyping up the fact that she wants Baszler. But it just seems like – I mean, between the crowd afterwards saying boring – seems like there's no fucking heat within this. And apparently Vince is not, has not gotten the best impression so far with Shayna Baszler within the back, if uh, rumors are to be true. So, uh, I mean, they're going to go through with this. It just seems, is, is, it, is it just me, Chris, or does it seem like there's been a lack of heat or, or momentum with the storyline between Shayna Baszler and uh, Becky Lynch? At least with the audience. Yeah, I mean, there's kind of nothing there. And I would almost say that they went the, uh, not the Connor route, but the uh, Gypsy King route this time around. Like, yeah, they saw that they saw that boxing event, what happened afterwards. And they're like, we'll make her a goofy, fun character. Because, like, if she, if she was really going the Connor McGregor route, well, she'd be like, fuck everybody, we, fuck their moms. I got all this money. I hate you. Let's throw fucking <laughs> stools into the crowd. Hey. Let's, let's fight on a bus. That's what I wanted her to do. <laughs> they basically were just like, no, nah, like she has money and she's super happy. That's like the Gypsy King thing. Well, I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is that Shayna Baszler needs to make sure that if she comes out against her, she doesn't wear a costume that could prohibit her abilities uh, within the ring. You know, um, that's terrible that happened to Deontay Wilder, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, uh, do you remember in the 1940s when boxing was a work? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, Lord, uh, I don't want to get started on this because it's a dark path. But like, really, <laughs> somebody owes me eighty dollars. That's all I'm saying. It was a shit fight. Um, nah. Outside of that, I think they're growing. I thought I think they went more that route though. Instead of Conor, the Conor McGregor thing, I wanted to just like her to be like, "Fuck everybody, I'm awesome. Look how cool I am." And, and instead of doing that, it's just like confidence, but being really nice kind of weird like I don't know and and Vince but not being behind Shayna Baszler I completely expect because he doesn't see her as being attractive it's not Vince's prototypical like even with Ronda like Ronda's I, and then god this is such a touchy subject but think about this in Vince's mind and look back at everyone who's ever he's ever pushed in the women's division they got to be like kind of a looker you know what I mean? And I don't mean that in a mean way against Shayna. I think Shayna's, like, cute. Um, and she could definitely kick my ass. So I hope she doesn't hear this and thinks she wants to fight me. But like, No, you know, you're just you're being goes. realistic with Vince's mentality of, of how he – yeah, you, you, this is nothing that you're saying that's not true, though. Yeah, I mean, like, look at, the, like, what he did with Lacey Evans. He pulled her up and pushed her immediately. Like, he has a prototypical person. And, like, you're like, oh, well, you push Sasha and Charlotte. And I was like, well, they also kind of just fit into that mold. But, like, you look at, like, Bailey, and I think Bailey's very cute. That's also not Vince's mold. 
so he didn't really push yep. her that hard. It's kind of like it's kind of like how he is with body guys, quote unquote. You know, for the men's uh, and how he perceives that. It's the same type of concept. Let's get down to the yeah. End so of this, man. so Let's... so yeah. I mean, I mean, I will say like so. Him saying that is not surprising to me. I think it's kind of shitty because I think that is the route to go. Um, and I what like she's gonna push Liv Morgan instead. Is that I, that's yeah. the rumor I heard? Is that they're thinking about switching it with Liv Morgan? If you're like Becky versus Liv over Shayna versus no, Becky, like, no. <laughs> like, are God you kidding damn. me? And I don't even have anything against Liv Morgan. I'm just like, I don't understand how you even get to that match. Like, you're gonna have Liv beat Shayna? <laughs> you know what I mean? That shit. Um, I want to talk about Randy Orton and Beth Phoenix. This storyline is one of my favorite storylines, and there's a lot of good ones lately, especially AEW. They're building up some damn good ones, but the heat within this and the reasoning and rationale, like I loved Chris Jericho's rationale for losing to Moxley in a comedic heel way, and we'll get down to that about how he was training for someone that only had one eye. But then Randy Orton is kind of that opposite concept, like that Magneto way of thinking, like, I'm doing the right thing. Like, that's a very compelling villain. We have Phoenix, uh, Beth Phoenix come out. She's trying to give a good update. She's doing a good job selling this whole entire thing. She has been on NXT uh, behind the commentary of being shook up about what's going on with it. Um, and, you know, before she could tell anything, Randy comes out and starts, you know, putting over the fact of how close he is with their families and how, you know, he, uh, he really cares about uh, all of them, and Beth's looking at him like he's delusional, obviously, and then puts all this, you know, with, with Edge, the reason why is because if he didn't do it, it was going to happen and something worse could happen, uh, you know, even though a concerto, obviously, injury, uh, in you know, in a, in, a, in a kayfabe sort of way. So Beth Phoenix is not understanding any of this. Obviously, neither is the fans or any of the viewers, but – He's very convinced that he did the right thing by being the person to take out Edge before someone else could do it and thought that, you know, with all of his addiction problems, he brings it back to Edge's addiction is the audience, and he'll do anything for them, including put his body on the line. So it's a very, very, very well-established villain route and blames it all on Beth for allowing it, saying that she's an enabler and, and, and pointing out that, that she's at fault at this, that the fact that Edge could not be, you know, there to be able to run around with his two, with her, with his two daughters and even name them. And, and it really got into it. And then at one point, uh, you know, Beth slapped the shit out of him. And uh, you can hear him say, you're a bitch. And then she kicked him in the gut and he gave her an RKO. And that was it. People ran the, ran up to the ring, including R-Truth and Natalia to check on her, but she sold it really well, and Randy seemed conflicted afterwards, like we've seen him with this, but this villain work, he's not as sinister as he has been in the past, like I, you know, I was comparing his his whole run with Triple H and the whole Stephanie unconscious thing, like now it's more of a conflicted Randy, but it's even more of like a, you know, he's, even when Edge comes back and he's going to do his intro thing Monday, he's going to be back, this really... This is a scary Randy Orton, basically, and uh, it's this is one of my favorite matches going into WrestleMania. I'm very excited about what's going to happen between the two of them, and I kind of, I don't know if he's supposed to be there, 
But Christian usually does the uh, the the pre shows. I wonder if Randy's going to show up unannounced uh, during the pre show, or what Christian at least will say about it um, tomorrow night. Uh, so if there's going to be any type of interaction there, because obviously separately they have a history and a few that they've you know had in the past, but it's a uh, very very good storytelling, especially for WWE. Thanks, Paul Heyman, basically. Uh, Chris, how'd you like this ending to Monday Night Raw? Loved it, man. I, I love the promo from Randy. The uh, the way that he's went about the entire thing, I thought. I don't know if it's like his idea or how it's being booked in the back or whatever, but it's been played out very, very well. The only thing I would say is like uh, with the security, like the, the couple beat downs or whatever, you can't have security show up immediately for one spot in the show and then not in the other spot of the show. So that, like I said before, that's nitpicking or whatever, but like his promo and the way that he's defending it. I think you made a great comparison with Magneto because like in Magneto's mind, he's like, these people are trying to genocide mutants. So fuck them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of that. It's it's like kind of that mentality uh, in a lot of ways. And in knowing that, you know, Orton is the legend killer, it kind of builds on his legacy a little bit. Uh, much like they do with Triple H. Like, they, I always felt like they built Triple H in a really good way that fit with his character. Um, same thing with Orton. When, they, when he really gets – when they give him something to do, he's really good. And, and I've said on the show before, I'm not a huge Orton fan. I don't necessarily like uh, the way he wrestles in the ring and stuff. But there's no denying, like, how good he can be if booked properly. And I think he's shown that the past few weeks. And uh, this match with Edge is the thing I'm most excited for uh, about Mania because I know they're going to – like, Edge is going to come out and give that 110%. And it's going to be a great match. It might even steal the show, even though there's some – like, Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins is on my card too. And if they give them time, that could also be fucking incredible. But, um, yeah, like – it, it was great, and uh, I, the only thing I will say about this is fuck WWE for not, like, if you're going to have someone do it, why didn't they have Samoa Joe choke out Becky during the Seth feud? Wasn't that my entire gimmick? I was like, this is what you do. You just have Samoa Joe do this, show up and do this, and then you can, you have actual heat. I think yep. I did that multiple times with Samoa Joe, but they gave it to Orton, so if you're going to pick two heels, those are probably the two to do it, and it's the first time they've really had, like, what I would call male on female violence in a long, long time. And uh, it does, it just makes you hate Randy even more, which is perfect. I mean, that's, that's where you need to be. He's not a fucking good guy. Uh, so um, I, I have no problem with this. I, I know some people were a little weird about it because male on female violence, like I said, and we knew that was going to well, happen. I will, if they say, ever did this. I will say, uh, apologize for interrupting you, but like when it comes to that, I like that they gave Beth some offense because she, when he, it took, she slapped him obviously. And he said, you, you know, you're a bitch. And then she was like, really? So then she kicked him because Beth Phoenix is that like much of a badass to like, you know, instigate, like I'm not fucking scared of you. And he got her like that with the RKO. So I thought they still did it well, but of course, I mean, and we'll have other things like the whole Dustin kissing Jake Hagar's uh, wife in the audience. Some people are even pussy farts. Uh, They're offended by everything. They're offended by yeah. every fucking thing. Yeah, and but I get it, though, at the same point. Um, at least I think WWE went about it. Maybe my idea originally with Samojo is, like, a little 
too much. But at least with Beth Phoenix, you know, she's been in the men's Royal Rumble. She's she's wrestled guys before, so the idea is that she's a Hall of Famer. So her trying to fight a guy is not that big of a deal. But there, even after that happened, there was still this disdain online of like, oh, it's male versus female violence. And it's like, well, you're not supposed to fucking like the guy. You know what I mean? Like if I no. see a movie and a guy hits a girl, that sucks and I fucking hate it. But it also makes me hate that guy. It's it's a storyline thing. It's not like Randy Orton's actually out there beating the shit out of women or anything. Like, fucking separate reality from it's fantasy. A television show. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, don't ever watch the 1970s version of I Spit on Your Grave. Like, your fragile brains will not be able to handle that shit. Don't ever watch an episode of Law & Order anything because people get murdered on there. And, of course, that means it happened in real life, you fucking idiots. God damn it. It's like... They want to – people want to lash out at wrestling for not – for being fake and stuff like that, but then also at the same time want to complain about stuff on something that's scripted. Like, are you – are you – it, it's, it's Yes, it's, it's fucking baffling. Me and you both are on the same page on this because I don't I, – I get why it should be upsetting because I guess kids watch or whatever, yeah. but kids can watch anything on TV and, like, there is the an asshole thing. person. <laughs> They're supposed to be a bad guy. They're not all supposed to be the same. If I had to look at like WWE right now, like there's no one that's as much of a heel as fucking Randy Orton. Just off that no. one thing, right? Like you have to hate him. <laughs> like why is he why is he murdering Edge's wife right now? I probably would have took it even further, like gave her the concerto and then kept her off NXT. So if you're lucky, I'm not booking it. That's probably what Paul Heyman said oh, yeah. too, honestly. But. I mean, but I mean, the I'm idea is it, to make you hate hate the guy. You're supposed to hate the person. Go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. Uh, if I was booking it tomorrow, Christian would just be like talking about something completely separately and out of nowhere, the corner of it. Randy just comes out and RKO's him and just looks over his body, kicks him a couple times in the ribs, and that's it. And that's the last we see of Randy Orton for the show. And it just gives that much more heat. I, I would be going after everyone. I would be trying to really be a bad person, you know. But that's. That's because you want to build a bad guy. Uh, anyways, I want to I want to move on to Revolution. Um, yeah, there was a lot of good stuff on there, uh, so we can talk about that. I will say SmackDown. I enjoyed it last night. Loved the opening. Loved the ending. Don't remember a lot between, but I love seeing the NWO come back. They set up Ron Strowman in a fucking handicap match, which is absolutely just dumb and baffling. But when we go over our, our elimination chamber uh, predictions, we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, like the gauntlet match uh, to set up who's going to be the, fir- the the last person in the elimination chamber and what they gave heavy machinery about being the guys that consistently stayed throughout the last of it and then got screwed by Dolphin, Bobby Roode, obviously. So um, SmackDown had some highlights, but um, that was about it. Let's get into AEW Revolution. Pre-show started with the Dark Order, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson uh, going against Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky. I think this match was more about, you know, afterwards when the Dark Order kind of screwed him with a roll-up after interference with some of the uh, the Creepers or whatever the hell they're called now. Um, SCU got screwed over by this group. This group keeps on coming out. And not only did Cole Cabana on the pre-show make his uh, debut, now is actually with AEW, um, I don't know exactly what that means for him, if he's still able to do stuff with Ring of Honor, with NWA. You know, the contracts at AEW are a lot different. If they're going to be 
since they're going to be having two shows, remember, you know, maybe they're, they're thinking about having different commentary teams, stuff like that, because we know Colts has been doing that for Nirvana for years. So I don't know exactly, but he came out, and then we had Christopher Daniels, kind of what I was saying, doing an ode to uh, coming out looking – like he was going to be the exalted one, but it was it was positioned to make it look like Vince McMahon did back in the day. Uh, so he was revealed as himself, came out, helped, uh, you know, beat the crap out of the Dark Order, sent them packing, and Evil Uno said that the exalted one will is, is going to be furious and that he is um, he's coming, basically. Uh, and uh, Spooky Perverts was a chant throughout the match, so that's interesting. But uh, Chris... How did you feel about this opening match, and were you expected to finally see the Exalted One, or did you like the bait-and-switch that they did with Christopher Daniels? And then Colt Cabana is now part of AEW. I mean, uh, okay, so did I, I don't know if Colt officially signed. I know when he retired from his podcast and didn't sign any kind of wrestling contracts, the idea was that he would be able to do whatever he, he wanted to do. So I think maybe they just – is this a one-off? Do you know if he, like, a, did he, like, is He's he sign-signed? Yeah, he, um, AEW posted Colt Cabana as AEW. Uh, I mean, although that's kind of, you don't know exactly what that entails, you know, because be doing stuff in other places, but apparently he is AEW. Yeah, so then, like, but then posting that means he's going to be on the show more often than not, right? Yeah. So, okay. I'm a little surprised by that because when when he ended his podcast, uh, he specifically talked about wanting to do more stand up and just wrestle indie stuff and not take on like a full time job. So it's great. I like Hulk Cabana a lot. I met him; he's a super nice guy. Um, so I'm excited to see him there. And and that was one of the teas was like Hulk Cabana could be the exalted one or Raven. I think even you like you brought up like Raven was in the crowd one episode and the Christopher Daniels and that was obviously you were right actually. Uh, I forgot who talked about it. That was a plant. That was uh, Raven asked Cody if if he could come to the Atlanta show, and Cody was like, "Of course." And then was like, "Hey, do you mind doing this angle? We're going to position you like old school Monday Nitro in the background, so people might think that you're the exalted one within this angle of the Dark Order." So Raven's like, "Yeah, of course." And that's why yeah, he was sure. all slumped down doing his thing. <laughs> and I, great stuff, man. That's that, that's a very good throwback. I like that. It was great. I, I like. I totally just assumed he was like, "Hey, can I get free tickets to the show?" And Cody's like, "Yeah, you mind doing an angle?" He's like, "Shit, yeah, I'm a worker, whatever." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hot dog and a handshake, bro. <laughs> um, nah, like so. I I always kind of assume this is Matt Hardy. This kind of further points to it's Matt Hardy. I like the bait and switch. They gave you the Raven. They gave you uh, Cole Cabana. They gave you maybe it's Christopher Daniels, right? So when it happens, when they eventually pull the trigger on it, it's going to be really great. And if it is Matt Hardy and Webby and all the stuff Matt's been doing and the whole family, they can pull all that in together, that's going to be fucking way bigger than people think it is. <laughs> It's going to be like, I think that may push the crowd like super heavy into AEW against NXT in a way, especially because Matt Hardy's a huge name. Um, and then if Jeff comes back, like, man, dude, like just oh. thinking about the fact that WWE had this and they had lightning in a bottle when the Hardys came back in that WrestleMania, it's like one of the biggest pops I've ever heard when they, when New Day introduced them for that WrestleMania match. It's just like, how did you fuck this up? Like, it literally required no writing. Matt Hardy was just doing it all. 
like all you had to do was like, hey Matt, go be Matt Hardy, right? That's all you had to do. It's how did you like the uh, how did you like the last video that he released? Uh, you know, we we kind of had a crossover because in the last episode of Being the Elite. Uh, we saw Matt and Nick Jackson got a phone call from someone familiar, and they were like, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you need us to come over, sure. And then at the end of Matt Hardy's last, like, little thing, the day that he's released from WWE, the the Bucks of Youth show up, and he says, the Bucks of Youth, I knew you'd come, you know, and that kind of connects the dots. There's no official contract that anyone knows of now. Even Even Metzler said that. But there is still this thing. And the thing about the Dark Order interaction with Matt Hardy, does that position them all as baby faces? Uh, you know, he said that he, his spirit is, 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 is dying and he needed friends to help him get it out of him. And then that was basically implying that that was the Young Bucks. It's a lot of stuff, but, I mean, Matt Hardy, it seems like he is definitely coming to AEW, right? I, that, that has to be. Yeah, and I mean, like with the with the Dark Order specifically, if you if you do the gimmick and it, like people are still gonna hate Evil Uno and Stu Grayson whether they're with Matt Hardy or not, but it's gonna make the crowd get behind that group, and they can uh, they can easily turn on Matt later down the road, and then you can just do like Hardy family once Jeff gets released from his contract versus the Dark Order. So if you're booking ahead of time, like it doesn't really matter. Like people are gonna cheer Matt regardless. So if they want to put him in kind of a heel role or whatever at the beginning of his like run, it's 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 literally not going to matter. Um, yeah, because he's just that kind of character. But uh, you can easily like you know when Jeff Hardy comes back, you could do that tag match. There's a lot of stuff that you could do, and that's why it, it just made sense that it's Matt. And I'm assuming it's still Matt, um, especially because Jake the Snake shows up later on the show, and and we kind of know who that's probably tied to. There's, it's going to be one of two guys, and I'm thinking it's uh, yep. well, we'll we'll save it until we get there. Yeah, but I know where you're going with it. Uh, next match, first match official of the pay per view. Jack Jake Hager is going against Dustin Rhodes. Uh, wins with his triangle arm um, choke that he's beaten two people with uh, previously uh, in his MMA run. Like that they did that. Match wasn't anything too special. Uh, a little bit sloppy. Uh, obviously, this is Jake's first match back, and I don't know how much indie dates he's done between that and the tapings for Lucha Underground's last season. So he looked a bit green in it. Dustin's a damn good wrestler. Uh, I like the angle that they set up to make it obnoxious with him and his wife. I can't believe, it, it, for people that have been watching Goldust, I understand we're in a new time period and it's a new age, but people were so pissed off and turned off about Dustin kissing Jake's wife. It's like, same thing, I feel. This is fucking scripted television. That's to get some baby face heat, but like people laughing because he keeps on going out and kissing his wife, kissing his wife. It's, it's comparing it to assault, like, there's so much. I don't know. It just it blows my fucking mind how people can take things and just blow it out of proportion, like breaking down little things that JR said to fucking bitch about later on. It's like, you guys just need to get fucking lives and shit. I don't know. Either way, match wasn't that great, but I like some of the stuff like that involved in the match because it was good storytelling and uh, kind of funny. And, uh, you know, if anything, Jake gets a win and they're putting over his arm triangle choke. So he'll get, you know, more reps in. Um, I've, I've, I think he's a fine wrestler, you know, but I've not seen too much of his work. I've seen him a little bit in Lucha Underground, a little bit when I'm watching, like, old school, you know, early or early 
2010s, uh, you know, WWE. So haven't gotten too much down, but I'm sure he's fine. Um, he's been compared because of his entrance a lot with Lex Luger, and I thought Lex was charismatic as shit, but I don't. I never thought that he was the greatest in ring wrestler at all. So as long as you're better than Luger, that's terrible. Anyways, how'd you feel about this opening match, Chris? Bro, I wish he would take that comparison and put somebody in a fucking torture rack. That'd be awesome. Like, Luger's yeah. over because of the torture rack. I keep bringing this up. Why is no one doing the torture rack? It's such yeah, an over move. As soon as someone hits that, like, you're like, oh, my God, he's breaking his ribs. It's insane. Look how buff he is. <laughs> so that's how Luger got over. He's like, I just got to put him in the rack. It's fine. Uh, if you go back giant. and watch, like, yeah, I mean, if you go back and watch, like, 95, 96 WCW and you listen to the crowd, when he picks somebody up for the torture rack, it doesn't matter if the rest of the match was shit. They pop for it. They're like, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, nah, I thought this match was fine. I, you know, the Dustin Rhodes thing, this, this kind of harkens back to the best Phoenix, Randy Orton thing. You need to separate, like, it's a storyline, right? So he's just trying, trying to be like cocky Han Solo type guy. And it's also gold dust. Who's kind of weird in general. Like, you know, the Adrian I get, type of concept that Dustin's had with gold dust as well. Like, I don't know. He's flamboyant. Yeah, he's weird. And- I, I will say, if, if people are really this upset about this, please do not ever go back and watch wrestling from, like, 1978 to 19 – or 2003. Let's or just anything go from ECW. Like, don't, yeah, don't ever watch ECW. <laughs> like, put a parental block on that on the network or something because – Like, Tommy Dreamer's wife was stolen by Raven – and then became part of Raven's cult. And then Raven, like, convinced her son that, <laughs> that he was his dad. <laughs> Am I remember remembering this Brian correctly? Pillman, remember when Brian Pillman <laughs> stole Marlena, who was married to Goldust, and, like, you know, kept him as his bitch while that whole entire storyline was completely allowed? I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> not saying that all of that is great and things that you should necessarily no. put on TV. But AEW definitely tells you that it, it is a PG-13 show. So if this you're letting like, your kids watch oh it and they're not over 13. How much people got pissed off about the kid that went to the AEW signing? Uh, his dad obviously being a fan and didn't realize that if he gets in a picture with MJF, that MJF might fucking flick him off. And people getting so outraged by it. And the dad, uh, to me, the dad got what he wanted. He bitched to Cody and he got two free fucking tickets and they get to go backstage next time. But if you didn't expect that, after watching the fucking television show and you're at an, an AEW-only fucking style event, like, I don't understand why the fuck you would have such outrage and how people... It's MJF. He's in fucking character. He's always in character. If you're a fan of the product, you fucking know that. Quit being a pussy yeah. part. Jesus. I, I will I will at least say this about Cody, is that he's like, what would you expect from MJF? He's an asshole. He stayed in character about it, and MJF's like, yeah, fuck that kid. <laughs> Still in character. Because the thing is, is when you give in to this, when you give in to this, like, you give in to this, like, rhetoric of what things should be in a creative process, it, it sucks. Like, this is a scripted television show with characters. Sports fans like to remind us that all the time. But as soon as something outrageous happens, they're like, oh, why would they even do that? It's fucking terrible. It's like, 
you can't have it both ways. Either it's fake in quotations and you don't care <laughs> or it's real. You can't you can't bitch about it if it's if you know it's scripted. Like I don't know. Like just don't watch it. <laughs> That's the actual answer. Like why are you so upset? Just don't watch it. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, I hate Love Island. Anyway. You know what I do? I, I don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no shit. Just turn the channel. Um, but uh, one thing that's cool, they showed a video package, Chris, of a – and I like how they're doing mini pay-per-views on their Dynamite shows in between, you know, like they did with Bash of the Beach. This one is going to be Blood and Guts, and it's basically exact – it's, it, it's going to be the old-school War Games-style uh, match. And I don't know exactly if it's going to be Moxley and people versus the uh, – I, I was about to say the Undisputed Era, but that's not the right name. Oh, my God, my brain's like uh, – what's it called? Chris Jericho's group. Um, or if it's going to be someone else or how they're going to do it. But we're going to have war games soon, so that should be fucking awesome. Um, how are you – are you looking forward to – and the fact that they called it Blood and Guts, a uh, little bit of a quote of Vince making fun of them and saying, we're not Blood and Guts. So they're they're taking Dusty's old match back and renaming it what Vince uh, you know criticized them with. Thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was great. It's one of those little subtle shots that I don't mind as much. Like you know, you're not really driving it home. Um, I, I like that a lot, and uh, I would assume that you be Darby, Joey, um, uh, Moxley, and and maybe one other. And I think that depends on who the one other is. If Lance Archer is Jake, I I was thinking if Lance Archer is is Jake's guy or if Luke Harper is Jake's guy, because could you imagine if it's like, yeah, I think you could toss that up either way. Lance Lance would make sense in this group just because he has history with, uh, with Moxley from, from G1 and some of the stuff in new Japan. But um, I could easily just be like, <laughs> also Luke Harper's crazy. Now he's part of this crazy team. Cause you gotta think it's going to be the crazy guys. Right. I mean, the, the other way they could go is they could do you, which this would be very WWE. They would just do John Moxley and the, the uh, jungle boy and Lucha Soros and the, what, what they call them? Jungle express. They would do that. Jurassic. Right. Yeah. So Jurassic express. Sorry. Um, so, I mean, I, there's two ways they could go. I think they're going to go the other way where they're like, no, we're going to have Darby Allen and all the crazy fuckers in this match for this crazy thing, um, which could be really cool. And uh, they said they're going to try to do it in the original format. So um, I, I wonder if they're going to raise the cage up higher. I don't know if you watched any of those old school dusty ones, but um, I, I would assume just safety wise, like Brian Pillman, like jumped and hit the top of the cage the top of the cage in multiple sections. I think Sid like went to power bomb him and his head hit the cage and they had like a fucked up power bomb spot and some of those early WCW matches. So it'd be interesting. I'm assuming they're going to raise that cage up quite a bit for this, but um, that was part of what was so cool about it is like the idea is you can't jump off the top rope and WA or NWA rules or whatever. So the cage was lower so you couldn't jump and um It'll be interesting to see what they do, but it's going to be a fun match. I mean, Moxley, he's going to pick crazy people. You, you got to, you know, Darby's in the feed with Sammy, which we're going to talk about next. Um, it just makes sense. Like, it, you're probably going to get Moxley, Darby, Joey Janela, and um, I don't know, one or two other random guys. 
and hopefully one of them is either Luke Harper or Lance Archer, in my opinion. Yeah, I I, I think that all these guys are going to pop up. I'm wondering where. Oh, man, the thing about Lance Archer is like he can talk for himself, and it seems like Luke Harper would could use Jake, but Lance Archer is a better heel to put with Jake. I think people are going to want to cheer for Luke Harper. So, and then, like we said, it could be Brian Cage. They could have them already introduced. Matt Hardy's already introduced, and that could be the last guy, you know, who is not 100% confirmed. But we know a lot of stuff is transitioning towards that. So, it's going to be interesting. And I and I like that you're probably right. They're probably going to use that as a way to introduce someone. So, uh, very excited. You said Darby Allen. Uh, now that I remember their, the name of their faction, the Inner Circle feel better about that. The inner circle, Sammy Guevara, when he gets Darby Allen, and probably my second or third favorite match of the night. Uh, it, it just starts with Darby fucking recklessly, you know, just doing it. While his intro's in the ring, Sammy's not paying attention on the outside. He goes and fucking just spears him. And the way that, that he does uh, the, the suicidas, if you will, um, is that he doesn't put his hands out. So it's just like, him, his head, and his shoulders just nailing the shit out of uh, Sammy. He would do another one where Sammy was upside down, and he got caught by the fucking ropes and just looked like he nailed the the bottom of the um, the, the garden rail. That looked pretty scary. Uh, they set up – this is all before the match even fucking starts. Uh, Sammy sets up a table at one point, and I'm like, what the hell are these idiots going to do? He puts Darby Allen on the table. And then you see Sammy go, I'm crazy, and starts doing, you know, spitting his finger around his ear. And he does a fucking 630 senton ricochets move through a fucking table. I thought it was crazy when Pac did the fucking shooting star press beforehand, or maybe it was the, the, the red arrow, whatever he did against Kenny. I've never seen someone do that type of luchador move through a fucking table. Then they go in, and it's like uh. when they start the match – they're just beating the living shit out of each other and just the Spanish fly, I mean, everything. But I love how Darby looks so crisp but also so rugged with his style. And I love – Sammy is just incredible, man. They're both they're, – they're, they're the next generation of wrestlers, basically. And Darby Allen won with the cop and drop, but I thought it was an awesome match. I mean, the thing is, I think everyone's going to say this. They say it about Will Ospreay. They say it about Kota Bushi. They said it about Jeff Hardy. You would hope that Darby would calm down a little bit, but I don't think that's going to happen. And uh, maybe with these type of performances, he should just keep on doing what he wants to do, and hopefully one day, like you were insinuating, he can uh, he can fight his idol, and we can get Jeff Hardy versus Darby Allen after that contract uh, is out. But, um, God, I'm so excited Darby for Allen. that. It's going to happen. It's got to happen, right? It's got to happen. Yeah, we didn't get man, Sting versus so. The Undertaker, but we 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 can get we didn't get Sting versus Undertaker, but we can definitely get Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy. That's the thing. We, they, we didn't. We also happen. didn't get Sting. We also <laughs> didn't get Sting versus Jeff Hardy for different reasons. Well, we kind of did, but um, yeah, yeah. No, I was I was choosing to ignore that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, how did you like the match, Chris? I thought this match was absolutely phenomenal. I love that they started it out with all the crazy go-through-table shit as opposed to it being like the ref taking a bump or something in the middle of the match or whatever. And that's a good thing. Like, I, I think AEW is too hard on the no-DQ finishes at all because it does put them in weird situations booking-wise, especially on TV. Uh, later on, we if we get to AEW, we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, I like how they started the match off and um, – 
damn, both these guys are fucking phenomenal. This is my second favorite match of the night, just because that tag match, the tag match we're going to get into is just was absolutely insane. They gave him 35 minutes or whatever. But, um, yeah, this match was fucking great. And it, it's like we said, I was like, this could easily be a show-stealer match just between these two guys. Sammy Guevara has been booked as a middle-card lackey to Jericho and has made this shit work, and he's fucking phenomenal in the ring. This guy is a star waiting to happen. And the only thing I'll say about Darby Allen that makes me sad is that I never got to see him in, like, a, a Super J-Cup or a G1 because I would have yeah. loved to see that character – in like G one, you know what I mean? <laughs> Could you imagine like him God. versus uh, Evil or Sonata? Like or Takahashi I... or friggin' the Junior Cup <laughs> against Will Osprey? My lord, it would be incredible. Like Darby, there's something about that. It's the same thing with Jeff Hardy. Like Jeff Hardy's not a great promo. He's not the best wrestler in the ring. But some people just have this natural charisma about them. You just want them to succeed. You just want to love them. Darby. And Darby Dude, has he's that. He's so convincing. And, 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 and that's the thing is, like, his eyes and, like, the way he cracks his neck and shit like that, the intensity that he brings, it's just – and, I mean, yeah, there is that element where it's, like, it kind of harkens back a little bit to Jeff Hardy. It kind of harkens back a little bit to the, the Crow Sting. He was doing even – I thought it was a little bit tributary of him, him doing the uh, – the, uh, the shotgun drop kicks outside to the garden rails, a little bit of a Finn Balor. You can tell that he's that evolution of that badass face-painted character, but he's much smaller. He's like a Rey Mysterio-sized version of it, and I think it's fucking awesome. And it's He's a new age when it comes to in-ring style, but he gets – like if Jim Cornette compliments – both of these guys with their psychology, you know you're doing something fucking right, especially if you're the size that you are. And they both get it, and he lays his shit in. He's fucking awesome. And Sammy's awesome, too. Sammy's great. He reminds me, you know, uh, I've, I've heard JR say Eddie Guerrero. I can definitely see that. But even, like, the cockiness, the gimmick, the arrogance, he kind of comes off like Scott Hall. Not the wrestling, obviously, but that, that you know, with the cue cards and, and, and just thinking he's a badass, like – those guys, like I said, along with Velveteen Dream, along with Takahashi, along with Will Ospreay, those guys that are in their 20s, Tyler Bate, so goddamn impressive, the next generation of wrestlers. Scorpion yeah, guy. yeah, for sure. Man. He, he, dude, Darby, like I said, he just has this natural thing about him that I, there's nothing you can do to teach that. It's just you want to like the guy. I would like to write it off as like, no, nah, he's just really good at selling or he's really good at working the crowd. But it's not that. There's something special about him. Like, he's got, like, an aura around him to just make people like him. Because, like, you know, there's other guys that are really good at selling and doing all of that stuff. It's the same thing with Sting. There's lots of big guys that did what Sting did, but Sting was Sting, right? And it's not just the face paint. It's the whole – it's his Packers. persona. Yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy thing to think about. Jeff Hardy is very similar. Like – so I think that's why people draw the comparison because you're like, Jeff Hardy's not incredible at like kind of anything he did in wrestling, like promo wise. I mean, he did some crazy shit, like crazy spots and stuff, but he was not necessarily super impressive. Like Mick Foley's another example, right? Like yeah. decent wrestler, like pretty good. A better promo than Jeff Hardy, like pretty good promo, right? But like, it's not like Austin or The Rock where you can point at one thing and be like, have... no, they were really fucking good at that. 
Uh, don't have <laughs> something finesse. natural about them. You know, like when it came to they, – they were reckless. It, there's a little bit of a difference. It wasn't as, as pretty. Like, I mean, as pretty as a swanton bomb is off of a fucking 60-foot ladder through two tables, I mean, it's just the fact you appreciate what they're doing with their fucking body because they are putting – a lot of fucking notches on their bump belt, man. <laughs> I mean, it's it's that, but for Darby, with Darby Allen, it's not even because we see so many crazy spots week after week after week, right? Like, we see so many crazy spots from, from so many different shows. There's something about him that's extra that makes him seem special, and it can't be promos because he's not fucking cutting promos. So, no, he's not. there's just like a natural, no. there's a natural thing about that guy i think certain people just have a natural charisma he's got it it's like it's the rock had it to some extent like it didn't matter what the rock actually said the rock just come out and say anything like call someone a fucking jabroni and everyone pop there's just a natural charisma with certain people and uh that that darby definitely has it and the only like i said the only sad thing is i hope new japan and AEW work together at some point in the future because there's so uh, many guys i want to see darby go against <laughs> in, yeah. in new japan I agree with you, and uh, only, like I said, I think this is the second favorite match, but my first favorite match was definitely this next match. AW Tag Team Championship match, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page against the Young Bucks. Not only was it great storytelling, not only did it happen back so many things from the past that if you didn't even know that, if you didn't watch New Japan and see the Golden Lovers versus uh, the Young Bucks uh, and, and, and know that whole entire rivalry, you know, it didn't matter, but if you did... You saw that stuff, and just how Paige, like I said, you know, when we were kind of uh, talking about this, I thought it was going to be Kenny's going to start the match, it's going to be amicable, and then at one point Matt Jackson would get in, and at one point uh, Paige would get in, and it would turn a hell of a lot more aggressive. And that's what happened. Paige spit in his face, and then that was it. That's when things started getting really dark. They were trying to hurt each other. Um they at one point did, uh, you know, I mean, there's so many spots that are, like, going around my head. I, I, I know I'm out of order, but stuff that I remember, really, the, the double Kamagoye that, that the uh, Jacksons did against Kenny that Kenny used to do with Kota Ibushi, uh, the fucking triple uh, northern suplex combo on the outside on the steel fucking thing against Adam Page, taking him out of the mat match with Matt Jackson, just the interaction of Matt Jackson and fucking Adam Page and that intensity and that rivalry, and just Nick's a fucking maniac, man. I mean, he's doing all this, and his wife's, uh, I, I don't know if she did give birth yet, but, you know, she's, that's, that's why he wasn't on um, Dynamite, his wife's about to give birth any day now, and he's been dealing with so much business-wise, that-wise, and he's still one of the most skilled performers, you know, in the business, Kenny looking like a badass. Kenny, along with the Pac match, looking like old school Kenny of just, you know, nonstop, taking a lot of punishment, selling really well. And it ended up with them getting the win and beating the Young Bucks. Uh, Paige pinned Nick Jackson after a buckshot lariat. And like I said, there's so many highlights of this match. I wish I could remember everything. I'm sure that Chris has got certain ones down after the match. Adam was not having anything with the Young Bucks, and it, got, it didn't get any better when he came and saved them on Dynamite. He took his time. He came in the ring. He put his beer down. He helped everyone out. He told Nick Jackson to go fuck himself, and he grabbed his beer, chugged it, grabbed another beer from people, and is doing his thing, man. Uh, good shit. Uh, love this tag match. 
The only thing I will say, I hate it when we have a great tag match or a great match and everyone's like, this is the greatest blah, blah, blah of all time. This is the most amazing era. Like, even JR was like, this might be one of the best tag matches I've ever called. But some people were jumping to that. It's like, I don't know. I, I would have to go back and watch the Young Bucks go against the Golden Lovers. You know, I mean, of all time, though, so many fucking tag matches. And if you're going to say, like, in the last, like, ten years, I would even say if we actually go back and decimate it and, like, go into things, I hate it when people put that much on top of stuff. It just kind of takes away from it. Just let this be an amazing fucking tag match. I don't know. That that might just be me. But, uh, Chris, what do you think about this match? I, I agree with you 100% because that's such a qualifier, right? Because TLC2 happened. Do you consider that a tag match, or is that considered not a tag match because it has a gimmick in it? Um, or are you just talking about straight tag matches? And if you go back throughout the history of time, like Terry and Dory Funk were a fucking tag team at one point, so I'm sure that they had a banger. <laughs> against like Stan Hansen and someone in Japan. Um, I, like, I don't know. I, I'm on the same page with you. I actually like the Golden Lovers Young Bucks match more. So even if I'm relating it to something more recent, I would say I liked that tag team match more. Um, but I love this match. I love this match. It was absolutely incredible. So I don't want to overshadow the match by talking about uh, what I thought was better, etc. But this match was absolutely incredible, man. You, you get just such good psychology in the match with huge spots is the best way to put it. And I think you named like one of the, you know, some of the cool, like pulling out golden lovers moves against Kenny, like just some of the small things where if you've been following these guys as most, as a lot of AEW fans have, or elite fans have, right. It, there's a ton of intangibles about this match. If you're a fan of, of any of these guys, especially if you followed them through their career that they put into the match. Um, and I like the page and Omega one. And the reason I'll say this is because I, I think they see how over page is with his promos and what he's been doing that they can't turn in babyface. That's but and when we predicted this, I said, I think there's going to be a heel turn. Now, obviously they didn't really go that route. Um, but I thought for sure that was going to be the case, right? I mean, they kind of they they they're setting it up for the future, but Paige has got to be the babyface coming out of the situation. I like I did not expect him to get as over as he has off something so silly, but maybe that points out to how good the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega are, um, and and maybe even to to some extent just the booking itself. But like I come out of this, I'm like I fucking love Adam Page. Didn't think I'd say it, but I love Adam Page. Um, a great match, man. Like it's such subtle night. things, such subtle things, like little bitty things, like the spit in the eye. The the if I had to take one thing away from it that I didn't like is um, Excalibur's commentary would be one, and um, because like he's like no one's ever kicked out of the one winged angel, and I'm pretty sure someone's kicked out of that move before, which I and like towards the end of that match. And um, just a few things that you oh, said Oh, I forgot that spot where Adam Page uh, said he couldn't do it because of his arm, and then Adam ended up doing it against Matt Jackson. And then Nick hit the yeah. – how do you feel about this? The one complaint I, I, I hear a lot nowadays that kind of gets on my nerves is the false finish concept. I think people need to get the fuck over it because a lot of times it seems, to me at least, 
people bitch about a false finish, but it's actually a big move or a person's signature. It's not really necessarily their finisher. And I don't have as much of a problem with it. Like, people will bitch about NXT or New Japan about that type of thing and also with this match. And to me, if, if, if you're not knocked the fuck out, you keep on going. And obviously finishers, your actual fucking finisher, whether it be a submission one or whatever type of driver or whatever that you do. But I think that people just need to lighten up about it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. This has been going on since Steamboat and fucking Savage. And it's going to keep on happening to increase the match time. So, I don't know. I, hey, it just it he, drives me nuts. Yeah, in a lot of ways, me and you aren't the people to address this, right? So, like, Jim Cornette and Dave Meltzer got into a huge battle over false finishes recently with uh, Young Bucks matches. And, uh, and and Meltzer pointed out that, like, Steamboat and Ric Flair in New Orleans had, like, eight, <laughs> eight close falls before the end of the match. It's just psychology at some point. And also, like, if you're in a fight, you don't just hit a finishing move. Like, the fight ends when the fight ends. I kind of wish wrestling would yes. a little bit get away from having a finishing move. Yeah, someone uh, win with an elbow extent. drop randomly. You know, just like, like a sleeper hold. We saw Conor McGregor basically knock a guy out with his shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, the surprise of winning a match should be what people are enticed by. Like, the, you know, like, that's the thing people love about boxing is it can come at any time. Same thing with UFC. Like, that chokeout can come at any time. It doesn't have to be one particular move. And, I mean, I know that's what is ingrained in our brains with wrestling. And that's cool. It gets the person over if they have a really cool finisher, like an RKO or a stunner, or, you know, something to that extent. But, like, The Rock used the people's elbow, which is like, <laughs> if you're going to finish, like, the guy's already dead by the time you bit him, right? Because it takes so long to set that move up. I don't think people really care. Like, you just give good characters and badass moves. Out that's of, it. So I'm, I'm a little opposite. Of all the of, things that, 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 that Rey Mysterio did, the thing that ended people was the 619, which is absolutely ridiculous. You know, and in retrospect, I mean, he could do like a, a triple Hurricane Rana fucking flip thing, you know, but just throwing him against the ropes, giving a kick in the face, and jumping up and doing a Hurricane Rana, that's what put him out, and people believed it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but, like, Ray got so good that he also hit the fog splash afterwards at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he even added something to it. And and that's fine, but I, I have no problem with near fin- like near falls. I mean, it can get a bit redundant if everyone is just running in and hitting a finisher one after another, one after another. But if someone just, like, like say John Cena hits you with the whatever, the attitude adjustment or the FU and, like, you kick out, and then, like, you wrestle for two minutes, and then he hits another one. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Because in a fight, you can hit someone with your best punch and not knock them out. Um, but I, this match was fucking incredible. Like, nitpicking aside, it was great. Definitely one to go watch. Probably, so far, the match of the year. Um, outside of maybe Naito and Okada? Yeah. Maybe? What was that takeover? Um, so, i got to remember that thing. But, yeah, I mean, it's got to be one of them. Yeah, I mean, there was some good shit on that takeover, too. I was including that, but those are the two that come to mind when I think of best match thus far of the year. So if you haven't watched this, um, I would suggest buying it because I'm going to be a good person, but also, like, maybe find it online and watch it because it was fucking incredible. I agree. All right, so next we have the AEW Women's uh, Championship match. Now the Rose going against Chris Statlander. Um, 
this in the first match, like, all right, so, I mean, because everyone has to do these type of fucking comparisons. It's obviously because you, you kind of trim stuff, obviously, with takeovers, but the first match and this match kind of were down periods for me uh, a, a bit. And um, just the ladies, both of them, I thought they were, they, they were a little green in it. Uh, Nyla doing the avalanche beast bomb and almost fucking screwing up the first part. That was scary. There's another thing that Chris Statlander did to her that was pretty scary earlier in the match. It just didn't have a lot of finesse. I don't think these ladies really worked well together. And for anyone that, you know, like I said, listen to the Chris Jericho interview with, with Nyla Rose. But if you're wondering why Nyla has problems bringing her back up is because she's taking, you know, she has been, for her transition, been taking estrogen you know, and, and taking uh, what you would call testosterone blockers, so she can't, you know, pick up something that she once was able to uh, before her transition. So, I mean, it's that's that's scary though when you're trying to power bomb someone off the top fucking ropes and you almost lose it the first time. The second time she's almost done that. I think she's still a badass and she's still like their Vader, if you will, in the women's division. And I really like Chris Statlander, but there's a lot more ladies, especially that four way they had, you know, uh, recently. A lot of other ladies that that are good in the ring, so you know I kind of want to see some stuff uh, in the future. I thought this was this might have been my least favorite match on the card, honestly. Chris, what'd you think? I think it was really bad, and I don't think this was the original plan for the pay per view. Um, and now, when you look at that women's division, you see why Rio was so involved because she's capable of having good matches with kind of anyone, in my opinion. Um, this was just these are two people that never really worked together as far as I know and and they had a botch match essentially I mean we see this all the time in WWE so not surprising it just sucks that it was a pay-per-view match and uh, I was legitimately worried at, at certain spots in this match of someone just accidentally getting murdered in the way that I used to worry about Nia Jax murdering Charlotte because like she consistently just tried to kill Charlotte for some reason <laughs> Every match they had together. <laughs> um, it, it, it was fine. I didn't like the buildup, and uh, there was a lot of very, very scary spots. And if you're going to skip a match on this pay-per-view, this is probably the one not to take anything away from either uh, either of these ladies. But Chris Statlander, I think, can be a huge star. Um, Nyla, I think you know, your money is going to be with more like monster versus monster, like awesome Kong or, uh, uh, Aja Kong, which why the or, hell have they not brought her back? Either, either um, someone or, her same size or, or someone small. It doesn't seem like someone kind of in the middle is going to work out with her too well. Yeah. And it just didn't, it did, you know, they did the title change. So Nyla had to retain, so it didn't really do anything for Chris Statlander. There's a lot of things I didn't like about it, even booking wise. So this match in general is out of, out of everything on the show, this is the one I think that they kind of rushed to a decision. And I think it really plays into the, the cancellation of Brandy's group. And then they had just, they had to like do things on the fly, which if you're a WWE fan, you realize that doesn't, very doesn't normally go well, which is what I'm assuming happened, and that's how this pay per view match happened. Like 
came 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 upon itself because otherwise these people would have been working in the ring together probably had the good storyline if you look at the rest of these matches like all these guys definitely have talked this talked this stuff out and thought about it and this one's the one that kind of seemed thrown together at last minute and full of botches and i'm not gonna blame that on either person maybe just they haven't worked together and and statlander uh and nyla don't have the most time in the ring like you said green so um I don't know. Let's give it another shot. Maybe next time it'll be really good. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and uh, let's go to the next match. Uh, pretty damn good match between Cody and MJF. Really prolonging the storyline, and I like where they went with it on Dynamite, which we will get to. Uh, but before that, let's talk about what the fuck did Cody put on the side of his neck, Chris? Um... You know, someone made a joke saying, like, he has a chest tattoo <laughs> on his neck and a neck tattoo on his chest. Uh, and it kind of, usually on the neck, you put, like, you know, he has dream on his chest, like in cursive. Uh, all right, whatever. Tony said that. He, he told me he was going to do it, and he was, like, kind of hesitant, but he gave him his permission. And Randy flat out said she doesn't like it, but Cody makes his own decisions and shit like that. And... Um, it looked. It was the nightmare symbol. It looked fucking ridiculous. I mean, there's so many places he could have put that. He could have put it on his, the back of his shoulder, on his back. He could have put it on the opposite it, side of his chest. The why neck. is it so big? Why is it so big is the other question. Like, if I, I – mean, <laughs> just get it wherever. But if you wanted to do something cool with the nightmare, you know, family logo, put it on your face. Do a little tribute to Sting, one of your favorite wrestlers, and just put it right there. And then think about, do I want to have this giant fucking thing on my body for the rest of my life? Um, it's, it's, it's like the size of a hand grenade. It's not – like if he just got like a little like quarter-sized version of that on his neck, I don't think he would have given a shit. But this thing is massive. It's like the nickel back of tattoos. It's really bad, honestly. Oh like, my it's, god! <laughs> it's like it's there, and you can see it. And it looks popular. Doesn't mean you have to like it. <laughs> oh, here's another thing. I'm not trying to clown on Cody. Cool entrance. I like seeing Stephen Amell there, along with uh, Dustin and a lot of the other people, part of the uh, the Nightmare family. And no, that wasn't Adam Page. He didn't shave his head and just go, you know, hang out. That was actually Stephen Amell. I found out they're not the same person. Um, going back to that joke. But um, I like, I always like Cody's song until I got to see it live from Caesar or Hinder or whoever the fuck that was, Five Finger Death Punch. Uh, now I'm not that big of a fan of his uh, theme music anymore. But, um, yeah, the match, though, was awesome. Very old school. Um, I, I think he's had better matches in the past, uh, but this one had a lot of heat, obviously. Finally got his hands on him. There was a lot of interactions between people. Arn was presented, I think, great in it. Uh, you know, at one point he took a bump by getting kicked in the face by Cody. Uh, there was a part where Brandy did a crossbody, a diving crossbody to Wardlow, and Arn was threatening him with a chair. You know, but you had all this type of hijinks. At one point, Cody smacks him, uh, MJF against the outside, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, ring post. He goes under the ring, obviously blades, a little bit too much, comes up pouring out blood, and they go at it in the ring. And, you know, at one point MJF is doing the perfect heel thing, begging for forgiveness, you know, and then spits in his face, like just, just great stuff. And the whole ring, the diamond ring, getting tossed in by Wardlow, 
He put it in his pocket. He took it out at one point when the crossroads was missed, punched in the face, and got the three count. And uh, it seems as of right now, position-wise, it's over between Cody and MJF. But the whole storyline, you know, that's not over. That will be something that will be going on probably continuously. Um, I'm assuming this end, might happen to end up with MJF having the title and Cody getting a title shot somehow against MJF through some way, and that's how Cody gets the title. Um, but awesome shit uh, for old-school-styled uh, wrestling match. Really liked it. I liked all the interactions out around the ring and stuff like that. I, I, I really enjoyed this match. Now, I will say... Can a diamond ring really knock you the fuck out, though? This is where it's like, I like that idea, but brass ducks probably would have been presented a little bit more believable. Yes, I am so with you, especially because you can get brass knuckles with, like, diamond encrustation, as as we've seen from 50 Cent videos. Uh, <laughs> like, if you're going to gimmick like it, you pick it up real hard. Um, I, I thought the match was fine. I think it went too long, honestly. Yeah, uh, I think they could have probably did this match in like 12 to 15 minutes uh, and, and put some stuff. There's just a lot of pacing in it, uh, and maybe that's a WWE thing. I thought MGF was great being just a complete scumbag. Um, and I like Cody being the dumb baby face a little bit here. I don't like super dumb baby faces as we talked about in the past, but him just being overconfident, really wanting to like murder MJF, like, it costing him the match. I was a little fine with. Um, it didn't end the way I thought it was. I, I really thought Arn was going to turn against him. I really did. But uh, So they didn't give us a fuck finish. It was a fine match. And uh, I think you're 100% spot on because now MJF can refuse to face Cody because he won this match, right? So uh, maybe MJF wins the title from Moxley. That would be a good feud between those two. And then you build Cody back up kind of from the bottom. Um, not from the bottom because he's always going to be a main event player, but you get what I'm saying. Like he, he's got to work his way back up to the title or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I, I love that idea. And I thought the match was good. Like I said, I, I think it went, it, it, it would have been better if it was shorter because there was just a lot of drawn out periods here and there trying to do stuff around Randy and Wardlow. And I don't think the match needed it because the crowd was already behind just these two guys having a match. Yeah, I agree. All right, the next match, probably my third favorite match of the night. It's crazy that I, I never thought I would like this match more than the championship match and the MJF-Cody match, but Pac went against Orange Cassidy. Now, he would inevitably win with the Brutalizer, but we got to see a non-comedic style of Orange Cassidy. At first, still with his hands in his pocket, but doing extremely aerialistic shit. Um, all the jumps and dives to the outside. Pac selling it like, I can't believe this guy's doing this. So great. Him willing to play ball is is awesome. You know, you can just tell that he's just <laughs> a great in-ring performer and that he's willing to do that. It's kind of like, I always harping back to the past. I'm sorry, guys, for that. But like how Randy Savage back in WCW was willing to lose if he had to lose again on a Nitro. Like, you know, you'll, you'll win him one, two, three in the ring. You lose him one, two, three in the ring. I uh, thought this match was fucking awesome. Really, really loved it. What did you think about Pac versus Orange Cassidy, Chris? 
I thought it was great. It was exactly what I expected. I even said you, the thing that's going to make this match great. Why, if we go back to the show, the the preview we did of this, I was like the bastard Pox face, like the the bastard Pax face on everything that Cassidy does. Anytime Cassidy does some kind of weird joking thing, he's going to oversell it. It's going to be great. Like his emotion on his face, like fucking Pac is such a great wrestler. Neville is so good. Um, and it did harken back a little bit to his feud with Enzo Amore, where he's like, how is this? What is even is this? Who am I wrestling right now? Uh, because he's so serious. He takes himself so serious. Um, and it just makes it, it made for a really, really great match. And uh, the crowd was super hyped on this match. So they've done a good job with Orange Cassidy. And, uh, you know, originally me and you, when we talked about Cassidy coming in, we were like, ah, I don't know how to do it. And I was like, I, I think you just, you, you still book him very silly most of the time. But then he's <laughs> try like he's going to have like, I thought they were going to build it up way harder than they did where he finally just gets pissed off and just goes full wrestler, like full on singlet. And they didn't go that route, but <laughs> um, awesome. it was great. And he's a good wrestler. Uh, I know some people aren't going to like his indie stuff because he does. I don't I, I guess the compare the, the drawn comparison would be like Joey Ryan, right? Like, cause they, he does some things or some of the PWG stuff. Um, doing where you get non, non-believable spots, but like AEW, they kept it professional. The best pack is not going to sell like an invisible man. I love the like, kick though back and forth. Where Pac was playing ball for a little bit, he kicked him in the leg and he's like, well, fuck you, I'll kick you. And then they just started like kicking each other. And even JR was laughing at it. And then Pac punched the shit out of him and knocked him on his ass. Like, I like that stuff. And I never thought, Chris, I'd want to see a match so badly between our truth or Orange Cassidy and Yano, just in one match. Three-way. Three-way for the 24-7 title. (laughs) (laughs) 24-7-11 United States Television Championship. That's the thing is, like, R-Truth doesn't even wrestle comedic. He's just naturally funny. But if you threw all those guys together, oh, my God, it would be fucking match of the ages. Maybe get Session... Get the session moth in there too. Maybe she gets the roll up win. <laughs> like, hey, I'm down. I'm down. Uh, hey, I'm down. Look, this was done well. Comedy can work in wrestling, and I think they do that with Yano, even though sometimes it's a bit much. But um, I'm not one of those guys that's hard against comedy. Like, when people start falling down from invisible shit, I can see, like, all right, don't maybe don't do that. But this was, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be, and really fucking good because. Like I said, Neville Pot, he's he's incredible. I agree. And we have the AEW World Championship match, man. John Moxley defeated Chris Jericho. Chris and is in our new champion. Uh, but a really good match. Just a brawling match for the most part. I mean, that's what they both have been known to do as of lately. Uh, I was surprised with the the, the title change. I like Moxley getting the mic afterwards and just going wherever, and then they try to cut him off basically with the music, and he's like, what the fuck? And then they turned it off real quick. But uh, just love Moxley. I love this stuff at the beginning of uh, Dynamite. We're about to go right into it. But, um, you know, just he just seems really genuine. And like I keep on, like, kind of harping back to, like the way they use him in New Japan, like you said, I think is very Terry Funk-esque. But this this iteration of Moxley really reminds me of DDP in '97, 
when he got the title, and he was saying that, you know, it's for all of you guys, and I'm the people's champ, and he was just badass brawling dude that was cool. You know, like, Moxley really kind of just reminds me of that type of character, and obviously in this scenario, Chris Jericho is Hollywood Hogan, except for Chris Jericho is willing to put people over. Oh! What do you think about this match, Chris? Listen here, dude. They never asked me to put anyone over. That's all on the company, brother. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got to take a shot at Hogan. I like the match a lot. Ooh, I, thought, yeah. I thought it was pretty <laughs> I thought it was actively pretty good. Um it the I guess the comparison is because Jericho just had that match with Tanahashi that was so awesome. I expected a little bit more. And Moxley totally works a different style when he's in in America versus New Japan. Either that or, like, the matchups are a little better for him. I kind of want to see him do – I want to see him work with someone different. Um, if I'm being – like, him versus MJF, I, wa- I want to see that uh, as, as opposed to, like, the brawling style of Moxley. Because that's kind of all we've gotten um, outside of, you know, the five minutes of serious wrestling him and Kenny Omega had. But uh, in New Japan, they really played that up, especially in the G1. So I, I, I want to see that other side of it. But I, I'm fine with Moxley winning the title. Like I said, Jericho didn't need it when we were doing the previews. I thought Jericho was going to retain it just because I didn't know where the storyline was going. But they've added a bunch of additional names to this roster, and it makes that heavyweight division or just the top of that card look very stacked and, and very, very good. We'll say that. Yeah. All right, let's open up with AEW Dynamite and go through this whole entire thing. It started off with John Moxley opening the show. Um, like I said, he gave, like, you know, that babyface promo where he's still a hard-ass, but he's doing this for everyone, and everyone out there is what makes AEW, and the championship represents them more so than it represents himself. And he was interrupted by Chris Jericho, who said the inner circle is putting the entire AEW roster on watch and that he'll voluntarily leave AEW for 60 days if Moxley can leave the ring on his own power after the main event. Uh, Basically, they had to be them, and everyone that's a smart fan knows that Jericho's going on tour. Well, guess what? It's more late April, early May. So they kind of set us up for disaster uh, a a bit for the ending. But how did you like this opening with Moxley and his monologue? thought it was really good i i moxley's a character that doesn't need to play up the fans that much and in my opinion like the some of the hearkening back to the fans and them being behind him etc i'm not a huge fan of that i think the fans are behind him because he's crazy so i would lean more into the terry funk over the ddp the ddp thing is like he's the underdog kind of old guy i get what you're saying and i get where they're trying to go with it but i i think he just just naturally fits more as like, no, he's just crazy. And we like him because he's crazy. Um, so like the, he's a really good fucking promo. It was a good promo. I, not my favorite, but it, it was pretty good. And uh, I like the setup afterwards. All right. We had a match with SCU and Cole Cabana going against the dark order. And I mean, basically essentially Cole Cabana was able to show off his moves and get his uh, his win with the Superman pin. Afterwards, Evil Uno once again threatened everyone ha- with the arrival of the Exalted One. So he's coming at some point, Chris. 
And then we had a match where Big Swole defeated Leva Bates. How did you feel about these two matches? Love Big Swole. I think that, that she can be a huge star. They need to build around her, honestly. If they, if they want to go that route of having Big Hosses as their champions or whatever, and then going more Japanese style for the um, for the title shots with Rio and, and maybe Emmy and, and some of the other uh, great wrestlers that they have there, I think Big Swole should have actually been in the match instead of Chris Statlander on the pay-per-view. Um, wow, the match before. <sighs> Spacen, what was the match before, Dane? You're good. SCU with uh, Cole Cabana going against the uh, Dark Order. Uh, the match was decent. I remember it being okay. I hate that Cole Cabana finisher. I, I get that he's been doing it forever, but I still hate it. I hated it in NWA. I hated it when he did it in Ring of Honor. I hated it when I saw him do it in NWA. It's just not like old school NWA before Corgan, I should say. Um, yeah, I'm just not a fan of that finisher. But uh, the match itself was okay. And then the big thing I would say, Cody hit the ring to talk about MJF and, uh, you know, wanted to say that if he could come out and look him in the eyes and say that he was, you know, he actually beat him, that he would be done with it. And uh, someone came out instead. I'll leave my review for this afterwards, Chris, but uh, go into detail of how you felt about Jake Roberts' promo. Man, if Jake the Snake still had the same voice he had in the early 90s, this would be one of the greatest promos of all time. Combined with one of the best promos today, uh, this was absolutely phenomenal. I I love everything about this. I highly promote there being more Jake the Snake promos on every show. (laughs) He was great. I know you're going to have a way better breakdown than me because, like, you actually – I think you watched it multiple – I only watched it once or twice, so I don't have, like, all the lines in front of me. But, like, he he was – he did the Jake the Snake thing. He brought up some weird Bible verses, and he's Jake the Snake, and he's fucking crazy, but also very convincing in what he believes. And even to this day, knowing everything about Jake the Snake as a person and everything he's been through – when he gets in the ring and picks up a mic, you just believe that he is that monster from like the early nineties. It's incredible. Like, uh, man, what a great promo and, and someone WWE very underutilized in their performance center is teaching some of these cats how to promo. Um, but yeah, fuck it. It's phenomenal. We'll say that. And, uh, it, it does suck that, that Damien wasn't in that cage for Rowan because it would have made a lot of sense for WWE especially uh, because he's a Hall of Famer and on that Legends contract or whatever. Yeah, so some of the things that he said, he came in, he said that, you know, Cody was just bitching. He wasn't, you know, he said, um, Hail Caesar, I'm not here to, um, oh, man, I can't remember the exact line. I'm not here to praise you. I'm here to slay you. Introduced that he has a client. That will be uh, revealed when they're in Richmond, New York. I think it's Richmond. Basically where Luke Harper's from in two weeks. We don't know exactly if it's him or if it's Lance Archer. Lance Archer was taken off the show for no reason. So it could be something like that. And that basically he's going to take out Cody. He He doesn't want all of the pie. He just wants Cody's piece of the pie. And my favorite part that he said to Cody was he said, 
A man once told me, don't ever turn your back on someone that you respect or that you fear. And then he immediately turned his back on Cody while getting out of the ring and tossed a microphone over his fucking shoulder. What a hard ass. He also said, hey, you can bring your one-trick pony Arn Anderson there. I hope there's like a double DDT spot set up for the future uh, within this. But, uh, dude, I just love this. I love Jake the Snake. He's such a great, brilliant promo. Like I said, Lance Archer seems like he can handle himself, Chris, you know. But could be wrong on that, you know. But I think Luke Harper would make a lot of sense. And it's going to be a dark character. And Jake gets to be the mouthpiece. And I think that he's looked better, uh, you know, than he has in years, I would say. So it was really good seeing him. Just sinister as hell. Just any of the comments that he said about Aaron Anderson or, uh, you know, the whole ending of, of, you know, never turn your back on someone. <sighs> Anything else about this before we move on? Yeah, just driving home the fact that I'm glad that Jake is doing well. He's one of the best promos of all time, as he just showed on this show. Absolutely incredible. Psychologist. Yeah, like being able to work that creepy style heel. The only person I can really compare him to that that does it effectively modern is probably Randy Orton, who, you know, is Cowboy Bob worked with Jake, and there's a, a, a direct correlation there. It's one of the things I don't like about Bray Wyatt. I think he should – and we've talked about that, like, for two years now. Um, you just watch Jake the Snake match. you Like, he's going to do some heel-ass shit when he's a heel. Um but yeah, I absolutely love this promo. I love the setup, and I hope it's Luke Harper. And I don't even know that Luke Harper has to be a heel. He just needs to be a badass with Jake as a mouthpiece. And I'm fine with wherever they go with that storyline because Luke Harper, also a phenomenal wrestler, and uh, probably the maybe the biggest guy on their roster once they put him on there. So I think that's going to be very, very interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, speed a little bit through some of this stuff. Pac defeated Chuck Taylor afterwards. Orange Cassidy and Trent Beretta were taken out by the Lucha Bros, who came in the night before at the pay-per-view. Uh, they're now a trio called Death Triangle. I like the Spanish version. I think it's Triangle de la Morte. Way fucking cooler sounding. But I'm wondering if they're also going to start doing, like, maybe the squares. You know, you could have, like, I don't know, like Vince Russo will be the, uh, the, 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 the manager and I'll manage Joey Ryan, <laughs> Disco Inferno. And, uh, what's another, what's another fucking wrestler that I'm, I'm a big fan of? Uh, I don't know, like something like that. So <laughs> a, big fan, um, a big fan of <laughs> Disco? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So jo- Joey Ryan, yeah. Disco yeah. Inferno, and, um, just randomly putting like someone like New Jack. I actually like New Jack. Um, but yeah, I, I don't get that. There seems to, dude, they're doing factions. I mean, everything you kind of were worried about, Chris, is coming true. You know, it's they got the Nightmare Family, they got the Inner Circle. I don't know. Maybe maybe uh, maybe what's his name? Well, the, John Moxley will the, make the 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 Rugrats with all the other hardcore guys. I have no idea. Well, I mean, the Nightmare family dissipated, so less worried about well, that. Ni- We're going to get Dark Order. But, or, or the Nightmare Collective did, but the Nightmare family is actually Cody's faction, well, with QT Marshall, his brother, with all their jackets and shit. Arn Anderson. Oh. Does that count as a faction or just people that are on the no. – I, I just consider that like Team WCW. 
remember like back in the day it was like ah oh, they're just normal AEW people like <laughs> that's what I like maybe I just read it wrong um yeah I do have a fear of them building too many factions and they, they're definitely going to do that had it is I mean they have to for this war games or blood and guts as, as they call this um yeah, that that's going to be a constant worry, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, we had Jake Hagar defeating QT Marshall. This is more setting up what happened afterwards. And like I said, Cody and Matt Jackson came out to help out. Heyman Page stumbles out. He's worse help than Rhea Ripley was to fucking Bianca Belair a week ago. Just stumbles out, gets in the ring. They even look at him like, like the heels do, like, is he going to do anything? He puts his beer on the side, and then goes into health mode, helps off everyone, clears the ring, and then double flicks off Nick Jackson, who was bitching about the fact that he was taking his time, and dips out. The only thing I will say about this, Chris, Adam's got to worry about this thing called the coronavirus. I'm not trying to be a wimp. I'm not one of those people that are, like, buying a million bottles of hand sanitizer. But even, like, roofies, dude, like, quit getting fucking half beers out of the audience. Like, you know, have some plants. And I'm assuming that one of them have to be, but I thought this was hilarious. And just, are we going to get Matt Jackson against Adam Page soon on Dynamite, I'm wondering? I hope so. Uh, I'm assuming they're all plants, right? They have to be. Otherwise, he's not going to get beers. He might get, like, piss or – I'm assuming they're all plants. Like, they had to think about, like, uh, some asshole pisses in a cup or something. You know what I mean? Like – yeah, so I'm assuming they're all plants. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, the coronavirus is real. <laughs> they're canceling, like, events constantly because of that. I'm actually worried about that going into the Shaking East Festival here in Atlanta, whether they're going to cancel it or not. But uh, hopefully that's not the case. And, uh, yeah, this is great. I Once again, Paige, he's just really nailing it. And also the way he's plays like he's drunk and then just immediately whips ass and he's fine and just parties with the crowd that gives them an out if they want to turn him heel like he's been faking the entire time or something so they could they could go that route too but um i think he's such a massive baby face dude at this point like i don't know how you're gonna get the crowd to turn against him so we had a promo with mjf afterwards uh that was pretty fucking awesome he called out john moxley and he started talking shit about Cody. Uh, and at one point, he was like, oh, man, it's hot in here. And he had a shirt on with felt leather lettering. The reason why that's uh, important is because it said, I pin Cody. Big famous picture from a feud with Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes with the same style shirt and the same style felt lettering for the Dusty Sucks Eggs. Attention to detail from this man, especially when it comes to old school stuff. Fucking phenomenal, especially bringing it back to this. Not only did he say that, but he goes, oh, is this distracting? This is a bit immature, kind of distracting like a neck tattoo. Called out the fucking neck tattoo. He didn't even have to be there, Chris. And once again, MJF is one of the best heels in the fucking business. Is he not? He's he's great. He's definitely the best in America right now as far as top heel. He's just such a great promo. I love the shirt, but I'm also a huge Terry Funk fan, as everyone knows that's listening to this show. Uh, I love it. I love it. We should get uh, Dane and Chris Sucks Eggs shirts made. Yeah! <laughs> oh, man. I love that. <laughs> I work at a t-shirt printing company, too. 
<laughs> All right, so the last match. Darby did, or Darby had to basically go against Jericho and Guevara because three masked luchadors, you know, quote-unquote, who ended up being Jack Hagar and LAX, took out John Moxley, beating the shit out of him. Didn't get too close to the Dippin' Dots, though, but took him out. Darby was a badass, even giving himself a fucking hot tag at one point, just looking like a million bucks. Inevitably, the heels got the better of him. Chris Jericho... Um, you know, and Sammy Guevara beat them, and Moxley, by the time he got to the ring with the chair, it was all over. Uh, he nailed Jack Agar, but the inner circle continued attacking Moxley, ultimately powerbombing him, shield style, off the stage through a table. Um, and Lance Archer, who was scheduled to appear, obviously did not appear on the show. How did you like this ending? And was that was that a shield powerbomb, or was that just a powerbomb, Chris? Uh yeah, whatever. I don't think they. I mean, maybe they were poking fun at it a little bit, but I just we'll just call it a power bomb, right? Um, I like the ending. I thought it was great because it sets up for the next pay per view. Um, because the the idea is going to be Inner Circle versus John Moxley and whatever his crew is. So I was completely fine with it. And you know, Moxley got the win at the pay per view, so he gets his ass beat here. Makes a lot of sense. All right, guys, unfortunately, we will not be able to go over NXT. We'll definitely get uh, more jumped on that next week, I promise. Uh, good show. I like both cage matches, very creative endings. I'm just never a big fan of the climbing out of aspects when it comes to cage matches, but I like that Velveteen Dream is now setting up against, um, what you call it, uh, Adam Cole for the title, it seems like, and got him in the ring. Uh, I think he needs to work in the performance center a little bit more, but, you know, my biggest thing with NXT is that I think they need to take it on the road. They need a they need a flashier audience. They need to get outside uh, the, the the place that they've been doing it at for a very long time and just build crowds. But um, other than that, uh, let's move on. And I kind of wanted to go over with you, Chris. Elimination Chamber is tomorrow night. I'm just gonna go through these matches. They could be out of order. Let's start off with the sixth match: Street Profits going against Seth Rollins and Murphy. Profits just got those championships. They're gonna keep them. What do you think? I think exactly the same. I, it just it just makes sense for them to hold the, hold on to them, and then they're probably going to go against AOP to Mania, which will end up being a pre-show match. So who gives a shit? <laughs> Good point. United States Championship match: Andrade, the champion, going against Humberto Carrillo. You know, this is crazy of me, but I could see them taking the title off Andrade and putting on Humberto, and and more pushing Garza against him. And then Andrade gets all pissy that Garza, you know, is getting pushed along with Zelina, and then that involves them in some type of 3-0 match uh, come WrestleMania. Could be wrong about that, but I think Humberto's actually going to win. What do you think? I think Andrade wins and then maybe drops it, and Zelina, there's some dissension there, but I do think we're going to get a three-way had mania between those two and an angel with Selena. They're definitely setting up some kind of storyline with him versus Andrade, which I think will be phenomenal. Humberto is just kind of along for the ride at this point, in my opinion. Well, speaking about phenomenal, we have the phenomenal AJ styles going against Alistair Black in a no DQ match. I think this should be, this could be the match stealer. I would say, uh, given their skills, and uh, could we get some interaction with Aleister Black and Undertaker against AJ Styles? Or is Undertaker going to be there at all, Chris? 
Oh, yeah. It's going to be Alistair Black getting his ass kicked for like 15 minutes, then hitting like Black Mass on multiple people and getting the pin and getting fucked. And then Undertaker shows up, kills everybody. He gets the win over AJ Styles. That's up the match for Mania. Almost guaranteed. That exact booking. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it's going to uh, be a great I like match. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that one for sure. But my match of the night is the SmackDown tag division match in the Elimination Chamber, just because Usos, New Day, Heavy oh. Machinery, and Bobby Roode are all going to be in that match. It's going to be great. Handicap match for the Intercontinental Championship match. Braun Strowman going against Sami Zayn, Shinsuke, and Cesaro. I'm sorry. Braun Strowman's going to win because I just don't know how they would have a rotating Intercontinental title. Maybe they're going to do that, but I think Braun's going to win. What do you think? I think Brown's going to win as well. Um, sums it up. Uh, fuck WWE for doing this to Sami Zayn and Nakamura, but yeah. And, and Claudio Cesaro. They're all great, man. Um, all right, so Elimination Chamber, SmackDown Tag Team Championships. The Miz and John Morrison, the champs, going against the New Day, against the Usos, against Dolph Ziggler and uh, Robert Roode, Heavy Machinery, Lucha House Party, for some reason. Um, I know who's not going to win. That's the last person I just uh, named. Um, but I will say, I think that the Miz and John Morrison are going to pick this up still, uh, doing some heel tactics. I think the most fun is the interaction between Otis and Dolph Ziggler. Uh, I think that's what all of us are looking forward to since Dolph fucked them over uh, with Mandy. So that'll be fun. And they really positioned this well last night on SmackDown. Who do you have, Chris? I think Miz and Morrison retains, and I have bold predictions. Morrison is going to do some crazy shit we've never seen off this chamber because he's parkour insane and a friend of the podcast. Love you, John. Uh, But it's going to be insane. I feel like they're going to pick up the win. Probably Morrison gets the pin. But uh, I also think that um, Otis is going to put someone through, like, either a pod or the side of the elimination chamber. If they do the side, that would be awesome. They've never, yeah, they've never done that before. So if he puts Ziggler through the side of the Elimination Chamber or something like that, gives them a little bit more room to work, that'll be awesome. Uh, so those are my bold predictions, but I, I do, I agree with you. I think Miz and John win this just because they won the titles so soon, and people are really behind them right now. The last match, Elimination Chamber match uh, for the Raw Women's Championship, Shayna Baszler, Asuka, Natalia, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, and Sarah Logan. I think Shayna Baszler, but, you know, kind of going by what you're saying, there is Liv Morgan, there is Asuka. There are those two options, but I'm going to still see with Shayna Baszler. Who do you think is going to win that? And then also say your goodbyes to all the lovely people out there, Chris. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry about that. So the um, the last match – what is what what is the last match? Sorry, <laughs> Oh, it's uh, Baszler, Oscar, Natalia, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, Elimination Chamber. I said Shayna Baszler, <sighs> but I said that Oscar or Liv Morgan, if if Vince is kind of feeling that way, might go towards them. But give me your answer and say goodbye to everyone. Yeah, I'm gonna lean to towards Liv Morgan. We got the hockey podcast a little bit later at Skates to Throats on Twitter. Um, check us out. Obviously, Geek Vibes were there. Uh, love talking to you guys. Sorry, I took up so much of your time. You can hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Dane, thank you for having me, bud. It's always a good time. 
Always a good time, buddy. And thank you guys so much for listening to us every week. We'll be back Thursday, 7 p.m. EST, for another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. And, uh, yeah, just uh, be cool. I don't know why I said that. Anyways, let the Geek Fights be with you. And peace out. Join us next week for another episode of Dragon Ball Z. Back and back and ball.